Hi, my name is Trisha Friedman. My pronouns are she and her. On this episode of the podcast, we have Kyra Killen, who is someone I've been following for a long time. Uh, You will also hear me reference the podcast that she hosts. Um, I would almost recommend that you pause the episode right now, you head over to the show notes, and you make sure that you subscribe to her show and that you check out a few of the episodes that I've linked there as well, um, just mentioning them as a few of my favorites. It's a wonderful, wonderful resource, and if you have not come across it, uh, you are welcome. I am honored to be the one to put it into your podcast player feed. Hope you enjoy our conversation today. Thanks, Trisha. No, it's a real pleasure to be part of your podcast that I, I have admired from afar um, for, for a few years now. Um, so I'm Kyra Kellowan and I am currently the Futures Lead at the British School of Barcelona. Um, before that, I've done many different things, worked as a careers counsellor in different international schools in, in New York, in Costa Rica and in the south of Spain. And before that, I was in the university admissions and guidance uh, side of things on the admissions side in the UK. Um, I've also worked in EdTech and been self-employed and done all kinds of other things. But um, that's, that's about the long and short of it. That's where I am now. Um, and where you are now is actually in a, a brand new leadership role that I've heard a little bit about. And it's my understanding that the role is is somewhat unique, uh, or at least that's my uh, that's you know the clues that I've been given. That's my interpretation of it. So I'm wondering if you could just talk a little bit about um, the role and what does or what does not make it uh, unique in in your mind. Sure. Yeah, I, I think the title is quite unique. I liked I liked the fact that this was called Futures Advisor or Futures Lead, um, because it it paid you know homage to the fact that different pathways for different students are are needed, and we need to explore the possibilities for each um, graduate. I, I primarily work with the students at the end of their studies and the, doing the IB or A levels, um, and we're looking at what their futures could hold. So that involves exposure to a wide range of different career paths and trajectories. It involves talking to them about how they might want to, you know, do micro-credentials, or they might want to break their study up into smaller parts. They might want to go for a full four-year degree or a three-year degree somewhere and take a more traditional route, um, or they might be looking at going straight into the world of work. So, um, you know, there are lots and lots of pathways that we hope to open for them. And so rather than it being called university guidance counsellor or, um, or university counsellor, um, the focus is not just on universities. And I think that's really important to be a future ready school because we know the world of work is changing and shifting rapidly. And, you know, our students are already telling us that they don't know if they, a degree is right for them or the cost is a barrier sometimes. And, you know, I think it's just good for them to learn in the round. It also means that I can work with younger students uh, eventually because right now my priority is getting kind of our, our elder students out into the world and helping support them with their applications. But eventually I'll work further down into the school on, uh, on informing and advising students and parents on kind of the routes towards uh, new and emerging career fields because in schools it's, it's often the case that we're kind of a few years out of date um, or that we tend to advise on the job market or the labor market as it was when we when we entered it and as we know that's that's really changing quickly so it's my responsibility to kind of throw open the doors to the school bring in more of our local community more of an international community because we are by default but uh, our students are also very globally mobile 
and to you know help inform them about all of the different things that they might want to consider so that they don't all end up applying to the same 20 you know top 100 ranked universities just like all of their other <laughs> students who preceded them um, not that there's anything wrong with doing that but that just that they know there are other routes yeah, I think it, just expanding on what might be possible is so important. And I really hope other schools kind of follow that lead. And you're right, that title um, in and of itself, I think is is really important. You know, language matters. And I, I like that shift in thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, so the past summer and, and really kind of the past year, uh, you've been leading workshops that look specifically at, at um, women in educational leadership. And I'm kind of wondering you know, now that it's um, almost November, if when you think back on some of those sessions, mm-hmm. if there are any highlights that, um, you know, they've been on your mind or you're trying to make sure, you know, this this idea is, I want to keep it on my back burner for the year ahead. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, these, this last two years, there have been so many themes that I think have been, become paramount. And I, I think generally, you know, inclusivity and diversity have become, I mean, they're buzzwords in institutions now, but they've become a real focal point um, for for most institutions. Now, how deeply they're being looked at in institutions is of course up to whoever's leading that work. But they, they, I've seen my lens shift from, from, from women in leadership to, you know, to diversity and intersectional respect and understanding and teaching and learning in a different way uh, to include as many different part pieces of the puzzle as possible. And that's something that is my own learning journey. It's something that I'm, I'm sort of understanding more and more as I connect with other, with other educators that I respect. And what COVID did was kind of open the doors, I guess, to talk to others, um, you know, without the confines of needing to fit it into one of the regular conferences that we would meet in, or somehow our, our lives were just a little bit more fluid in terms of who we could meet, how we could organize calls. And, and that's, I, I'd say that's, that's one big benefit. So I've really kind of tried to learn through people that I respect. And so the women, the women in leadership focus obviously brought me into the Women Ed Network. Um, it brought me into working with uh, ECIS and with, with Cam Chohan on uh, a diversity, equity and inclusion uh, website that, that, that we created with resources, links to resources for, for educators and for schools. But um, the, the lenses just keep getting wider and wider as I learn. And I realize how much there is to include, how many, how many underrepresented groups there are and how little they kind of come up in our vernacular or they come up in our teaching or they come up in our resources. Uh, and so I'm just trying to educate myself. I guess the things that I, I want to hang on to are learnings from really, really great outspoken female leaders who who really draw, who really push the envelope. So, you know, Kathleen Nagley comes to mind. I know you've had her on as a guest and listening to her podcasts just, you know, they move and inspire me to just do better, to just think more widely, to think about how I can bring in some of her learnings into my own context. Um, it's following people like her. It's, it's reading, you know, things like I did some research for um, an international association of college admissions counseling session that we did on female leaders. And it was just about presenting some of the information to them that we had been working with uh, through women ed. So we presented information on, on the CIS uh, leadership gap. So both in terms of pay for male and female heads in international schools, but also the, the color gap exists, the, the racial gap that exists. Um, and just showing that data to, you know, an audience that was not our usual women ed audience who don't come to our usual um, events. 
was really eye-opening and it started off conversations that I didn't expect. It started off conversations about inequity for working mothers. It, it started off conversations about the, the, the data gap that exists in most schools um, or the, the gap that exists in that sort of flexible working procedure once you've had children. It was just, it was really interesting to broaden that conversation out. And I see the, the interest getting wider and wider and wider, whereas these were niche conversations happening between people who were already included in communities. Now it's become a, a conversation that's much broader and I can see, you know, we need to do more work to bring everyone in and to get everyone talking, whether it directly seems to affect them or not. We need to start uh, making this priority in, in our school settings that we that we broaden the conversation out and that we learn from each other. So I think that's kind of been my goal. I, I feel like I've gone around the houses there and answered your question at all, but <laughs> no, kind of where I'm going. <laughs> Absolutely. You, you have. And you've also, of course, done me the great favor of the perfect segue into the next question, because, <laughs> you know, what you're saying about different folks joining this conversation, the, you know, where they might not have a few years, I think another part of that that you brought up with the pandemic is the accessibility um, and podcasts, I think also open doors. Um, you, you know, they're free. And of course you highlight the, you host the pilot ed podcast and you've had such a great lineup of guests, um, you know, both a mixture of students and, and educators, which I think is, is really important to be including all of those perspectives. And similarly, you know, in your new role as, um, you know, in your new leadership role, I'm kind of wondering if, if there's any sort of gems that have come out of those conversations, you know, I, I often tell people hosting a podcast is actually great professional learning for the host. Mm. Oh, um, it, it really is. is. <laughs> it really, truly, like, it's such a privilege to invite people and have people say, yes, you know, mm. I'll come and, and share with you. So um, is there anything from your own podcast that's kind of shaping your thinking um, about uh, navigating your new role? Oh, yeah, so much. Yeah, I feel like uh, having a podcast is is one of the best forms of professional development out there, especially, you know, as I started the podcast when I wasn't in a school, I wasn't in a university, I felt kind of fringe, I felt like an outsider. I think I was actually referred to as an outsider in a panel I was in in the summer. And it's like, you know, respected outsider, but still an outsider. And it's like, that's fine. That's good. It's actually a really good place to be because you see things more clearly in a way and you can you can invite in more perspectives than just your colleagues, right? Um, but yeah, having guests like, I mean, I had people that I never expected to have on. So I had OBEs and people who had, you know, really, really pushed things forward in terms of um, um, project-based learning. I had, you know, a writer on who I really respect, David Price, who talked about open ecosystems and about opening the doors of the school which is something that I've carried forward. You know, I read his book and I just, he's written several, but I, I read open and I started kind of talking to people about it like I was wired <laughs> because it had so many ideas that I thought was so applicable to our setting. And, you know, the way that if we just share our information in a, in a more equal and open way, we can do so much more good rather than creating information in silos, which is what schools tend to do all the time. We, we recreate the wheel for ourselves. Um, I've had, you know, Kevin Simpson from ALOC on and he was he was sort of in the middle uh, of, of a series one season one and he was talking and he sort of opened my eyes up he and uh, Lawrence Alexander opened my eyes up to the wider conversation about inclusion and allyship so from a from a perspective of people who were talking about race you know they're both um, black American men who've worked in international contexts but they're they're talking about how they support feminism they're talking about how they support LGBTQ communities and they and they talk about the intersectional 
respect that needs to go on between all of the causes of underrepresented people. That was kind of, it wasn't new, but it was something that I hadn't heard from somebody in their position, or I hadn't heard from a leader of mine necessarily. So it was really, really important learning that I can, I can take in and, and sort of embody in my own leadership practice. But, you know, I had students on, as you mentioned, uh, and student voice and agency is so important to me. It's so, it's, it's one of the main drivers that I want to create change within our school. I, I want to make sure that students get the chance to lead and to show us what their metal is and to show us what they're made of and to stand up for causes they believe in. I think that's, you know, that's, that's the only way they're gonna find success in the world. Um, so hearing from two young women who set up ODIS, the uh, Organization to Decolonize International Schools, and they were just so fantastically and wonderfully eloquent, researched, you know, balanced, measured their, their argumentation for why the IB needs to update its curriculum. And they started with the IB because that's what they'd studied. Um, but they're also looking generally at global curricula across the world and, and forming action groups with other peers um, and galvanizing, you know, different, different allies and, and different um, groups who are looking at changing the status quo in their own international school communities, international school alumni, which is so powerful. When you think about the impact that that can have on an international school's leadership team, it's like, okay, you know, here are our former students really telling us what's what. And I think that's the only way that we're going to see these rapid shifts continue and to be given the weight that they, that they you know, they rightly deserve. Um, so, so those are a few highlights from, from season one. Season two has been slower to get off the mark just for various reasons, including starting a new job and moving house, but it is going and it's gonna, it's gonna include um, more perspectives from the university side of things. Because in my work, I often see how systems are fixed based on what schools think they, their students need to be able to do in order to access, you know, world-class universities. But the universities also have a role to play in terms of diversification and how they assess students' um, competencies. And I think that's a much wider conversation that needs to be broadened out. So that's kind of where season two is going. And season three is going to be all about people who are on the fringes. So who aren't in a school, who aren't in a university, but are still doing good work out there generally, who who, you know, for whom out their work will have impact on our work, but they're leading from the, the outside rather from the, rather than from the inside. And I think that's a really cool third place to go. And who knows after that? Let's see. Oh, that's really exciting. And of course, um, you know, I'll, I'm going to link in a bunch of those episodes because it really is a great podcast. And again, just so many different perspectives. Um, again, I'm, I'm, I'm just, I'm Yours so thankful. Too, <laughs> yeah, no, no, no. It's, it's amazing who you meet podcasting. And like you, like you said, I mean, I'm sure you've had guests on who, who really surprised you that they said yes. Uh, and and that and that's what I liked about COVID. It's like all of us were bored. We all had stuff to talk about and we didn't know how to get it out there. And I think it was a really good moment to begin. And I, you know, you you bring up that point too that when you go into podcasting, it does get you outside of your own network where you're not just talking to people from your own school or organization. I think that's so important. Um, you know, and and for me as well, uh, you know, early on it was sort of the okay, I'm just going to have to cold call some people who I actually, I don't know. And I'm just going to invite them. And it's incredible the people who will be just generous with their time. They have no idea who you are. Mm -hmm. um, and I just, I think that's so important to not say, I'm only going to speak to people I know, um, you know, oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> that's not going to change anything. I mean, if right. we stay in our little silo, um, you know, I'm trying to figure out how we, how we shake things up and how we make things better. So, 
you know, it can be very cliquey, the world of international education, everybody does kind of know everybody else, which means that it's good for promotion. And, and when you do something, people know about it, but it's also really important to bring in voices that would never be invited to the typical conferences that we all attend. Otherwise we're not learning anything really new. And, and that's super important to me. So I, I also want to reach out to those people who are kind of um, disrupting from the edges. I think that's the place, that's the area to live in if you want to innovate as an educator. Um, so yeah, and I think that's what you're doing too. Thank you for that. But you're right, like that idea of disrupting, and I see that in so many spaces in my experience in international schools, it is uh, you know, almost regardless of where you are on the planet, if you go to the professional development library, there's too many similarities. If you're looking at folks' professional development calendars for too long, they also looked really, really similar. Um, and, you know, it, it's interesting in the work that I do now consulting, there's a real shift in some school leaders recognizing, okay, you know, we have not done anything around LGBTQ plus inclusion it's been because of fear. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and some folks will, will be really honest with that. And, you know, I've had school leaders say like, I've been an obstacle to it. It's been, you know, I've been afraid to kind of rock that boat a little bit, but we need to do something. I will be in the training. I will be participating and that's great. Um, and you know, unfortunately there are still so many school leaders I work with where that hesitation is setting a tone, you know, for, mm -hmm. for the rest of their staff. Um, I, I think it's it, much you've worked with ed tech too. Like I see a real parallel with kind of the, Ooh, you know, if I'm a school leader and I kind of, you know, I, I trash the notion of, of digital literacy, other people pay attention to that. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that was leaders... your background before I know, right? <laughs> yes. That's kind of what you taught and what you specialized in. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, you know, you need you need to be on the edges to be able to take in those things that are happening in the real world. I think I think probably that we're similar. Our outlooks are similar there because you need to bring in whatever is happening right now uh, into a, a community that is quite protected and that has got walls up for whatever reason, whether that's because under the guise of safeguarding or keeping conversations comfortable, or whether that's the guise of, you know, a parent body that might, you know, oppose X or Y, but it's also our job to be learning, you know, and we need time to, to learn professionally on in ways that are not the, the normal ways. So I, I think going to the, the disruptive edge of things is, is absolutely where we need to be. And and, and that's the same for technology. It's the same for teaching tolerance. It's the same for justice and the equity issues. It's, it's, you know, we always have to look for those kind of radical outliers who are then, um, you know, going to inform how, how our students kind of uh, eventually learn and think about things. I, you know, I think part of that too is making sure anybody in school leadership is not underestimating the power of their own influence. Um, I, I once, I had a, a great principal who, he really did want to do better. And one thing that we talked about was just, okay, great. The reading that you're doing around LGBTQ plus inclusion, have that book be in a very public part of your office, like let people kind of stumble upon it. Um, <clears throat> talk mm -hmm. about the fact that you're doing that reading and just watch. Mm -hmm. uh, and he was initially a little bit skeptical. Like, do you really think people will care? And I was like, absolutely. Yes. They really, they really, really will. Um, especially, yeah. you know, I think when you're a respected leader, people do look to you as an example. Um, and I'm, I'm kind of just wondering in, in what ways you might be thinking about that in the year ahead that, um, yeah, like, you know, people do, they look to others in terms of, okay, how am I going to make sure that 
you know, I, I, I take your point truly it's recognizing we all have learning to do. Mm -hmm. Um, but I almost wonder, is there an opportunity to be doing that learning in a more public way in order to inspire others? Yeah, there definitely is. I mean, um, so I had a conversation when I came to the school, I, I think our school, um, I'm learning about it, right? I don't know. I don't know everything yet. Of course, I've been there two months. Um, but from what I've seen, you know, we have a very clean building. We have a very beautiful sort of uh, glass and, 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 and white, beautifully painted um, building with lots of spaces, communal spaces. It looks like a sixth form. It looks like they have a cafe. They have a nice outside area. Um, but there's very little in the way of uh, literature on the walls. Um, so it's a, it's a space that's designed to be kept quite clean. And I just question because, you know, I, I'm thinking about where to put up my university pennants and my flags. And then I thought, what else should I have on the walls? And I started thinking about the art that we have in our office and what it represents. And, you know, I made conscious choices to put up artwork that reflects things that I'm interested in. So I put up a, a painting from Trinidad and Tobago, where my dad is from. I put up a poster from Brixton, which is one of the most multicultural areas of London that I love. And, you know, places that I don't know if the students know or if they would, it, but their conversation starters. And I, and I thought similarly, um, you know, we, there's, I haven't seen any flags around school. I haven't seen, and here we are, we're in Sitges, uh, near Sitges, we're between Barcelona and Sitges, and you know, we're in one of the, the epicenters of uh, pride in Europe. It's one of the biggest celebrations, one of the biggest festivals. Uh, and I just, you know, kind of asked around and said to the students, what happens if we celebrate it? You know, what kind of, what, what, are, what, what happens at school? In the primary school in Sitges, they do. And there's lots of art brought home about, you know, love is love and they paint different types of relationships and they represent all sorts of different costumes and things like that. But um, in the secondary school where the students are, you know, possibly in most need of uh, uh, organizing their thoughts about who they are, understanding their sexuality, understanding their gender, or, 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 you know, just figuring things out generally, we don't have anything visible that, I, that I've seen. So I started asking students what they would like, what they would need. And we talked about um, how we need to have a more visible celebration around pride, how we need to have things like intersectional flags displayed around school so that you know they know that my office is a, as someone who talks to them about very, very difficult decisions that they have to make post-school they know it's a safe space. And it's just as simple as having a visual up. It's as simple as the books on your shelf, the art in your space, what's on your door, you know, and, and, and those small things matter. So I started to think about how we could do that more in terms of the literature that we have around us. And as you've said, I think, you know, what's something that's on your desk can cause a, a conversation that you never expected if a student picks up on something you're reading or watching. And it's just, it's just about not being frightened and being ourselves. And I think there are plenty of teachers, plenty who would love the opportunity to have some personality displayed on those walls. Um, so I think we've got to think about that as a community. I think that's something that we can we can definitely that's an that's an easy win for us just to sort of represent who we are and the breadth and the, the, the diversity of everybody's interests and everybody's outlook, perspectives and experiences, you know, there in the school so that it feels like a place that that has life that breathes. Um, and I think that would be that would be a help. And I've heard students, you know, saying that they would like to see sort of more visible 
recognition of the spectrum of just human experience, <laughs> right? Um, that you know, we, we need more reflection of, uh, of how, who we are and, and what we say what we're interested in. And for, for myself, I mean, my learning is, is, is mostly done at the moment by listening to podcasts and, and you know, my reading list is, is long and wide. Um, but getting around to reading a full book when I'm not in half term is, is a big ask at the moment. So I listen a lot and I've been listening to the wise podcast with, with Sadie Hollins. I listen to yours um, and I've been, you know, talking and trying to gather resources as well for the project that I've done with ECIS. So, um, you know, I'm exposed to different things here and there and I kind of publicize them and try and amplify them for other people, but I'm also in my own process of when to digest and when to learn. So I don't have a great answer for anything that I'm reading a from you know Twitter and looking at, at, at feeds of people who I really respect and Maloney is someone whose name comes up a lot um, I look I love the learning for justice uh, website I love what they do and your resources are also excellent so you know it's about working out where I can bring things like that in to our advisory and into our tutorials and next week we have um, we have a week dedicated to DIJ which is going to be broadening out that conversation and doing some implicit bias stuff um, which I'm really excited about so bit, bit by bit I'm going to drip feed what I can in um, but I'm also you know super open to learning and, and, and giving this the time and attention it needs but you know what it's like starting starting in a new place you've got so many boxes to tick so I'm, I'm, pre I'm pretty open to, to recommendations. Yeah. You know, even just the cognitive load, once you've moved of like, where is that yeah. light switch? <laughs> yeah. What is the shortcut on campus? Um, I, I kind of just want to go back to something you said though, because it reminds me, I don't know if you know, uh, Maya Rukanen, um, she's another international school educator and she yeah, was doing some Finnish. She is. Yeah. Um, and she, um, she has so much knowledge and wisdom when it comes to sort of school design and really seeing the learning environment as, um, you know, capable of, of sparking deeper learning, as you were mentioning. And she talked a lot about the idea of, of the hallways and how important that hallway space is to students, mm -hmm. because in a way it's sort of their, that's kind of their social space as well. And what you were saying about being really intentional about artwork reminded me many years ago, I just, you know, I was getting really passionate about learning spaces and, and seeing what students were noticing, not noticing. And I asked them in a survey, a question along the lines of, you know, at what point in the year do you notice a big shift in what space is trying to communicate? And we looked both at our classroom and then, you know, school campus as learning space too. And what broke my heart a little bit is for the you know, the campus wide, when, when has that shifted and tried to give you different messages? Overwhelmingly students said Christmas, mm -hmm. it feels like Christmas is super important here. And that was it. Mm -hmm. um, and that really stuck with me, uh, you know, especially because the place we were in Christmas was not necessarily a part of local culture. Um, and it really was reminding me of, you know, dominant culture sometimes, how pervasive it can be if we're not thinking about it. And also, yeah, I just, um, you know, I, I shared it with a few other colleagues and they just kind of, huh. And we didn't take <laughs> it any further, but I, I kind of think that's a, a great conversation to have. So I just, you know, I, I really appreciate your point about being really intentional with art because it is noticed um, mm -hmm. and it can spark such a great conversation. So I'd, I'd, I'd love to touch base with you again in coming months just to find out 
Um, what else know, went up on the walls? So yeah. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, I, t- I spoke to students who, who are creative um, and they told me that they feel that the best representation for them of that diversity that exists in the student body was in the art and the drama. Uh, departments and that was where they felt freest to show off their real selves and even then there were artworks that had been created that had been uh, censored for whatever reason from public view because they dealt with with the body um and I mean you know we're we're a sixth form center we're a place where students are 16 and over so you know it's kind of, there's a kind of a question there for me about well, what why what what is our limit and what it, why is that and 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 who's deciding it and whose voice is that right um, I think we've got some unpicking to do there because students of that age are the ones that arguably are in the most need of, of, of role modeling by adults just before they're about to go out into the big wide world. And so, you know, what we're, what we're rubber stamping and saying is okay and allowed is really important. And what we're saying is not, is really important. So I'm interested in, in kind of asking those questions. And like I said, the caveat is I don't know the school that well yet. You know, I can't, I can't speak for, for what the whole student experience is like, but I'm, I'm reaching my own conclusions about pockets of, of where we can be more visible, much more visible and celebrate. Um, there's, there's no judgment here in what I'm saying. It's just simply, you know, that I've noticed certain things uh, that, that I hadn't seen. So, so if that can be, if that's my job, that to make those things more visible, then I make them more visible and however I can. That's wonderful. And I would say, you know, hopefully that's the job of all of us in schools is to be noticing, to be curious. Um, and, and as you say, to really explore what are some of the kind of covert and overt messages that we get in terms of what we should be ashamed of and mm-hmm. what gets celebrated. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I just kind of think having that detective lens on um, and, and asking those questions and, and sharing that with colleagues is, is really important because as you say, yeah, our, our are we sending messages that we should be ashamed of the human body or that mm-hmm. we should be ashamed of uh, certain members of society? Um, because right. I, I, I do think some of those like unspoken suggestions, I, I honestly, you know, I, I, it's not an exaggeration to say like, that's how queer phobia starts. Um, yeah. You know, I, I kind of think even gender bias, we know that that starts at such an early age Um, So those messages are so important to kind of interrogate. So thank you for for setting that as an example. Yeah, no. And, and, you know, there's always more to do. There's there's so much to do. There's so much learning that needs to happen. Um, You know, a school, a school must always be intentional in terms of the, the time that it's giving to its staff to learn these things. And also the time, the space for us to have conversations. And, you know, here we are, we've just had early deadlines for, University, you know, some of the, the, the most selective universities. Um, and it, there just wasn't time. There, there hasn't been time to even really talk to another colleague about anything that wasn't a reference letter. <laughs> we, we need to change that. We need to look at that. We need to think about how, how our day is, is spent because being intentional is, is more than just uh, lip service at the beginning or the end or an inset day. It's got to be woven throughout the entire school day every day. And so I think those vis- those visual reminders that we talked about earlier and also the reading and the continued um, learning that happens within things like texts and um, choices of poetry and choices of art and, and, and choices of historical events to, to look at. I mean, it's all part of that wider conversation that has come up time and time again when I've spoken to 
you know, um, the oldest girls or, or to, to, to generally people who are leading work in, in DEI. It's like, let's broaden those, those resources out so that we have access to wider perspectives. Sorry, Milo's there saying hi. I thought that was my puppy. I was <laughs> no, like, it's fine. My, my puppy's downstairs and I was like, how are you? How do I hear you so well? That's hilarious. He's being pretty quiet so far, but yeah, that's just him saying hi. Hi. Shimming us along. Well, that's, you know, you, you kind of, uh, maybe one of the, the points that we'll end on here is out of this, I know so many people are, um, you know, right now is kind of recruitment season in the international school world. And I, I know of a few people who are considering a move, they're not sure. And, you know, there's always that moment where as the candidate, what questions do you have for us? Which for me has always been like ugh, awkward, uh, <laughs> only slightly less awkward than tell us about yourself. Um, <laughs> but I'm realizing how great it would be to ask that question of, you know, to what extent do folks have time to have casual conversations about what they are reading, watching, viewing, considering doing with their learning space, like, and, and, you know, tell me how, you know, like, how is that sort of seen? Because I, I do think pace is a visible thing too, right? I've worked mm-hmm. for, with at places where you can see the stress. Yeah. Um, it's, it's not hidden. It's sort of known. Um, and that, that question around pace, I think is so, so important because at least in my experience, it's not sustainable. Um, you know, the pace that many, many schools set is it's not sustainable. And it certainly does not necessarily lend itself to doing that personal learning that you've been talking about. No. So um, I, I don't know if, um, you know, again, since you're at a new school, uh, if you have any other great questions that you're thinking, this is also uh, a good one. I know that you do, you know, your, your work is also intersectional. So any other thoughts yeah. on folks who are in that process, what else you would ask of a school? I, I did ask, I mean, I asked in this, in this job um, about being about, you know, working, working four days a week on this job and then having time given to me to do my other things. And, and it was understood that, you know, what I could bring in by running a podcast and being part of a SIG and, and, and doing this other work that looks outside of the school could actually bring in opportunities and resources and trainings and great connections for the students. So I think educators, who have a network and who are able to kind of think about what skills they bring in would do well to think about what they can exchange with the school for that knowledge and for that specialization. Um, and, you know, the fact that you can, we, we can all provide PD of our own in some ways. And, and I, there's very little time for that to shine in most teachers' calendars. There's very little space given for us to learn about what our colleagues really know or what their experiences are or where else they've worked. Like, you know, how often do you, if you don't sort of see your colleagues on LinkedIn, how often have you seen somebody else's curriculum CV or how how often do you know where else they've worked unless you've had time to sit down and chat to them? And and we don't necessarily know all of the, the, you know, I sit next to an IB TOK examiner. And I mean, the, the amount that she knows about TOK, which is a subject I taught some years back, is just phenomenal. And, you know, she, she needs to recognize her worth to the school in that respect. So I'd say the questions I would ask her about, you know, where is there going to be space for me to bring in what I know and, and how can I share that? How can you get the most out of me? But also, yeah, I would definitely say, you know, where are the spaces for us to, um, to, to assess how maybe our mission is aligned because most international schools have this mission and vision statement about being tolerant and being uh, equitable and being diverse places. So really uh, 
investigating that how are we living that and, and you know what is our action plan to really get up to speed with whatever we've said we're going to do or is there an action plan or you know i've noticed that the leadership um you know maybe has 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 some representation uh issues uh could, could, are we working on that what's the what's the game plan you know i think i think those are uncomfortable questions to ask in an interview but they're also really important if you want to make sure that it's a place you'll stay um so you know just just seeing what the reception is like to some of those difficult starters is is good because i think people then can choose a place that is genuinely sustainable and it's not going to lead to burnout and um you know when we have our, our our lens on for for our conversation i think it's also you know how how do the students feel supported um with all of their different um you know all of the different pieces that they bring of themselves to school do you think they feel seen and heard or do you think that they have role models, you know, on each of the lenses that they need to understand themselves with? I think that's really something that we don't think about very often. Um, so yeah, maybe maybe those are some starters. I, I love that. And I, I also love that your example includes you negotiating because I often think that's, you know, educators almost undervalue themselves. I, I see that as another real pain point for us to get past. <laughs> <laughs> the dog agrees. He's agreeing. <laughs> the dog agrees. Barking at inequality. That's how I train yes. uh, You know, I, I just think we we need to realize people have done that. It's not completely um, impossible for you to ask for more. Uh, and no. I, I really think that's something that I'm still working on too. And I, I'll give a little bit of a shout out, Jeff Udek, who I've been working with. Um, you know, again, talking about men who care about feminism has been so transparent in, you know, when I am negotiating contracts, mm -hmm. here's, you know, do not ask for less than this. Like this has mm -hmm. been my experience. And I, I, you know, again, I think people who have been in positions where they have that knowledge or they've, they've had that wisdom when you share that with others, that's, that's really huge because, um, you know, I definitely felt like for a long time, is it okay for me to ask for something else or to ask for more? Oh gosh, yes, no, no. I mean, educators generally we have a we have a martyrdom streak, um, and I've seen I've seen you know like I, I've seen fantastically talented colleagues just undervalue themselves continuously, or they've had, maybe they've had their confidence stripped away from from you know various things, various reasons. But I think being kept busy, being too being kept too busy to think or to complain, is is unfortunately a, a symptom um of of you know a, a system that has been working towards what i think are not, not necessarily for the good of the of the students we serve right we're, we're not necessarily thinking about their best interests or their best outcomes we're, we're thinking about measurement ultimately we're thinking about how to how to how to put things neatly into boxes and measure success using numbers usually um, but we we are also avoiding that uncomfortableness of saying okay what does everybody want to learn about and if you actually ask that question, then you might get some issues pop up that not everyone's 100% comfortable with. But you and I have both worked in school systems, I know, where, you know, dis dissent and, dis and um, uh, debate were widely encouraged in a really international, in a truly international setting where students might not have agreed with each other, but they had to live together. Uh, and so that kind of, I, I think we can bring in more of that. How can we train ourselves as educators to have uncomfortable conversations? And that will lead to better outcomes in many, many different fields of talking about tolerance and, and, and dealing with injustices. But we have to be ready to do that ourselves as educators first. So I think maybe that's one of those questions to start with, you know, when was the last time you had an uncomfortable 
conversation with one of your colleagues and how did it end? That's probably the best question to ask, <laughs> but it's probably going to scare some leaders off. <laughs> I wonder, you know, you're, you're right. You know, just that idea of what's the connotation around debate, professional mm-hmm. debate, debate, like, you know, I, I absolutely love that. Uh, and I'm, I'm so glad that you, that you shared that. And, uh, you know, again, listeners, please do check out pilot ed podcast. I, I think there are so many amazing conversations, uh, and we'll be sure to link over to the ECIS website that you mentioned as well. I, I really you. do just appreciate the accessibility of resources and hopefully they prompt some really fruitful debate for others this year. Yes, no, no. And, and to all of your listeners, I mean, we we are always looking for content and we're always looking to to amplify and, and represent, you know, great work being done out there. I mean, especially things like lesson plans, videos, resources, those are the sorts of gold mines that I think educators find it hard to trawl through or to find things that have been handpicked or that are recent or so if there's anything out there from your from your listeners uh, that you think would be a great addition to the site, please do get in touch. Great. Thank you so much. Thank you, Trisha. It's been a pleasure. Uh, honestly, the honor is mine. Uh, and, and again, I just I'm, I'm looking forward to continuing to see what you do with your career because it's it's so impressive. And I just, oh. I'm, I'm thankful to get this time with you. No, no. I mean, I, I, I'm so thankful. And, and I, I remember like doing a recording for you when you were at UWC. And, and I think it was probably one of the first podcasts I ever listened to was yours. So you, you've been ahead of the curve with technology for a long time. So I, I've been looking oh, up to you for, for a while and thinking, wow, what a great thing for, you know, what a great thing to happen in a school to have someone podcasting about. And, and I remember you were interviewing like Nikki and, um, uh, who was it? Nikki and uh, Pat. Pat, yeah, Pat Desverat. And and it was like, wow, great. You know, imagine, imagine if we could have the counselors podcast. And that's that was at the same time as I was reading open. And I was thinking, gosh, we're all doing such similar work and yet we're not sharing enough. So thank you because you've been part of this learning journey. <laughs> oh, thank you. I'm so flattered. I'm almost <laughs> nauseous. Thank you. <laughs> I'm not just saying it. I know oh, we are recording, but I'm not just saying that. I'm really not. Um, no, it's been really cool to connect with you on various, various levels. Um, so yeah, keep in touch and let me know what we can do uh, from an ECIS perspective, if there's more that we can do to, to just help. And I, I, you please, please, please send me things that you think need to be there for our own reading, for our own learning. Um, and listeners, me. that's you too. Listeners, yeah. that's absolutely you too. So please head over to the show notes to learn more about the new ECIS site. Follow them on Twitter. Uh, the links are there. Please do help us to amplify that important work that's ongoing. Thank you.